has not only all authority to receive our prayers, but he has all love to welcome us, to bring them to him. So if you would, join me for just a few moments together in prayer as we together give a prayer of petition. Would you bow your heads with me? Almighty God, we come before you now thankful to be the body of Christ and thankful that our head knows each one of us. We again pray this morning, O oh God, on behalf of our church. And we again remember that when you look to the body of Christ, you see people, people who are joined as individuals into a corporate person. Father, we pray this morning for members like Abby Durr. We thank you for our sister's steadfastness and her eagerness to love her family well. Father, we pray that this week she would disciple her children well in endurance and patience with joy. Father, we pray for our brother Stan Chen. We thank you for the way that he loves you and his family. We pray that Stan would be faithful to Christ this week and would lead Velma and Lillian well. Father, we thank you for our brother Adil, almost, and his faithful service in the Spanish ministry. Thank you for all the ways he tirelessly serves. Help Adil this week to take joy in Christ each day and find Christ to be his treasure. Father, we pray for church members who lead us, who are not only church members, but shepherds and pastors. Father, we pray for our brother Bruce Case. We thank you for his love for your word. We thank you for how faithfully our brother shepherds those around him. Father, we pray that you would help Bruce to love Heidi well this week. We pray that you would help him keep watch over himself and over the whole flock as he's been commanded to do. Father, as we study the church this month, we again ask that you would protect us against pride and superiority. We again ask that we would be confident in what your word teaches while also being humble in how we view others. Father, we pray not just for our church, but for other churches around us, even churches that don't hold the same convictions that we do. Father, we think this morning of Christ Fellowship Church, just down the road. Father, I'm grateful for Pastor Bob Bender and how kind he has been to me, how he clearly loves others. Father, would you help Pastor Bob this week be faithful in his life and ministry? Father, as we know and trust there are many believers at Christ Fellowship, we pray for them. We pray that they would grow, that they would mature in Christ. We pray that they would love you and your word. Father, we pray the same for us. May we grow and mature in Christ. May we love you, and may we love your word even this morning. Father, as we open up to this text, we pray for clarity and insight. We pray for the ability to see what you have designed and, and said in your word. We pray that you would change us and that you would shape us and that we would be a changeable people, a people ready to be shaped by your word. Father, we pray that you would help me to speak clearly 
and honor you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. What comes to your mind when you think of church membership? For many, it might be a, a role or a directory that is submitted to the denomination of the church, uh, letting everyone know how successful a church is or isn't. This church has 400 members, so they're really growing, you could say. In this way, the, the membership role functions like a tally, almost like a political party that it might have, and uh, how people count up who is in their tribe and who is following them. For others, church membership might bring to mind a, a financial commitment, almost like a membership to the Rotary Club. Come, make a commitment to be a member. Make sure that you're giving, that you're contributing to make sure that this organization stays afloat with all the good things we're doing. Uh, for others, church membership is like a, a frontline pass to the services that a church offers. Almost like the YMCA. You, you go and you don't want to just be a guest and use the facilities. Oh no, you want to receive the privileges of a prioritized member. You're a member, so you're an insider who's prioritized. And so our American landscape is filled with churches that cater to the needs and wants of the people that come. And they customize social services for them. Now for others, I think church membership is sometimes like a, a bit like an insurance policy. Uh, they're concerned about their salvation, their eternal destiny, and so they look for assurance, uh, easing their consciences, making sure that they're officially a member of a local church. We see this sentiment often in obituaries, as someone who is, has no walk with Christ is still listed as a longtime faithful member of such and such church. Well, friends, these are four uh, distortions of true ideas of membership in the Bible. The question is, what does the Bible teach about church membership? That's right. I believe that the, the idea of church membership is not just a good idea, but it's a biblical imperative. Paul tells the Corinthian church that they're individually members of one body. Otherwise, we don't see this word often in Scripture. Uh, it's a bit like the word Trinity, which isn't in the Bible, but the idea is everywhere. The idea that, that believers must have an identifiable and clear mutual commitment to one local church. Well, that's all over the Bible. In fact, even just back in the Old Testament, much of the Old Testament was devoted to explaining how the, the people of God were to be set aside and identifiable and clearly marked out from the world around them, even countable. And in the New Testament, regardless of whether you call it church membership or not, there is no way to obey all the commands that Scripture gives to individual local churches if we don't have the category of knowing who is in and who is out. If pastors don't know who they are to lead, if members don't know who they are to submit to, if mem members don't know who specifically they are to watch over and guard and rebuke. 
by the way, this evening at Starting Point, we'll explore just a variety of different reasons for why to join a local church. Now, this is open to all. As we said earlier, it's at 5 o'clock. I prefer that you register, but even if you don't register, just come. Come to Starting Point. We're going to talk about this more. But today, this morning, I just want to pick one biblical aspect of church membership and church authority and see it together from Scripture. Uh, And uh, we're going to see that some of these wrong distortions actually come from a true idea. Uh, Before I do, I just want to acknowledge briefly that uh, there are some in the room today who might not be a member here. You might be just visiting a church for the first time and just wondering what you walked into this morning. Well, I just, I need to acknowledge to you that uh, what we believe as a church about church membership is important, but what's even more important is the message that we call the gospel. And the message of the gospel is the idea that God has created all people everywhere. But as one people, together, we have just rebelled against God. All of us, each of us, have, done, have been treasonous in our desires and have chosen not to follow the God who created us, who we owe our allegiance to, but we've chosen to follow our own ways. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He then died on the cross, and when he died, he died as a substitute for a people, for a group of people. Acts 20, 28 says that he died to obtain the church with his own blood. So he spilt his blood on our behalf to cover the sins of the group of people that would together place their faith in him. And the message of the gospel is that if you want to be in this people, this, this group that are being obtained by Christ with his blood, you must look to Christ in faith and repentance. We're going to talk about that a lot today, these ideas of faith and repentance. And anyone who does, oh, they become a new creature. They become part of this new body. And they become part of the one day eternal church in heaven that will assemble forever before the throne of God. This is what we call the message of the gospel. If it's new to you, I just encourage you to talk to someone today about it so you can understand it more clearly. But let me get back to kind of the the thrust of what I'm going after with this idea of church membership. Friends, it's God's design that the church affirms true confessions of faith and true repentance. That's that's my main idea today. If If you're taking notes, go ahead and write that down. It's the main point, and I think it's the point of the text. The church affirms true confessions of faith and true repentance. Or we could say credible faith. Credible repentance. Now, I want to show this to you today, and I could take you to all different sightings of this idea across the New Testament, in different churches that take on this responsibility of being the body of Christ, to affirm true faith in one another and true repentance. But instead, I want to go back to where the idea of the church first shows up in Scripture. And what we find is when this word church and this idea first shows up, this is the idea that is presented. So if you brought your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. We're going to look at an amazing and often overlooked passage. Uh, In my talk this morning, I'm going to just answer two simple questions. 
What does the church affirm? And then what did Christ affirm? Uh, now, to set the scene, you, you just have to understand first the, the context of what's been happening across the gospel of Matthew. Matthew has been developing this theme of the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, 35 times across the book of Matthew, uh, Ma Jesus or Matthew speak of the kingdom of heaven, which we could say is the rule of Christ over his people. And so, in fact, why don't you just keep your finger right there in Matthew 16 and flip back with me to Matthew 6. Uh, there in Matthew 6, at the end of the chapter in verse 33, uh, we see there Jesus tells his disciples to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It seems like seeking this kingdom is a first concern for disciples. If you just look down at chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus there again says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so the, the kingdom seems to be something that has to be sought and entered. It's something that we could maybe not be in. It's something that is only for those who obey God and do the will of God. Or, or maybe flip over to, to Matthew 13. So Matthew 13, thinking of verse 41. Again, this is Jesus teaching. He's teaching about the end of the age when he will separate, separate out those who are truly followers. And he says in verse 41, the Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. And so here is the inverse idea that we just saw. Not only do you need to obey the will of God, but here, uh, anyone who's defined by sin will not be in this future kingdom. A few verses later, we see a couple of parables about the kingdom, showing us that the kingdom is a treasure worth giving everything up for. And if you maybe just flip over one more time, Matthew 25. Let's just jump forward, closer to the end of Christ's life. Jesus is again teaching. In Matthew 25, he gives two different parables, which again, we see in verse 1, he's speaking of this kingdom of heaven, uh, and if you just look down at verse 14, uh, the kingdom will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Well, who is the master of this house who goes on a journey and will return? Who does he entrust his kingdom to when he's gone? Who's he giving it to? In Matthew, uh, Matthew seems to be building up this theme of the kingdom and as we come to today's passage, we actually find out who is entrusted with the authority of this kingdom when the master leaves. So go back to Matthew 16. Matthew 16, I'm really going to be focusing on verses 18 and 19, but for context, let me just read from verse 13 so you understand what's happening. Matthew 16, 13, we read, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And uh, they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon, Simon Peter replied, 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, so this passage begins with Peter here confessing Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, there in verse 16. This is the first time that this full confession of Christ is made. He is the Christ. He is the, the Savior, the Messiah that we've been waiting for. He is divine. He is the Son of the living God. This is foundational. It's a foundational belief in Christ. It's at the, the heart, the core of Christianity. It's, it's what's at the very center of this kingdom is this right acknowledgement of this king. Who's, who's at the center of the kingdom? The king is. And seeing him as king. And so in verse 17, uh, Jesus answers Peter. And he affirms that uh, this doesn't come by flesh and blood. It's not our intellect and wisdom by which we see Jesus rightly. No, God must open our eyes to that truth, as it was with Peter. Then in verse 18, Jesus introduces his church. Uh, some of you might notice there this play on words with Peter's name. Literally, uh, Jesus says, you are Peter, which is Petros. It's a word for a small rock. And on this rock, Petra, which is a word for bedrock, like deep, large, strong rock, I will build my church. Now, history has disputed for centuries over what Christ is referring to here. Uh, as Protestants, we disagree with the Roman Catholic Church, which uses this verse to say that Jesus here is affirming papal succession and authority. No, that's not the bedrock that he's referring to building on here. Uh, the, the reformers came along, and they rightly pointed out that there's a close tie to Peter's Confession, if you notice that in verse 16, to this true statement of Christ. But it seems clear that Jesus is not only referring to the confession, but he is thinking somehow of Peter. He's doing this play of, on words with Peter. I think Jonathan Lehman is helpful here. He says, Jesus is not going to build his church on words or on people, but on people confessing the right words. Jesus will build his church on confessors of the gospel. Jesus is promising that he will build his church on Peter and then those like him who are making a right and true confession of faith. That's what he's promising here. Let me just pause here for a moment, Paris Moline. Just reflect on this. This is profound. Our church, first point is to be built on those who are making a right and true confession of the faith. So do you want to be part of this church? Uh, you need to make sure that in your life you are affirming a right and true confession of the faith. You need to be willing to go slow enough to make sure that you understand the gospel clearly. It's so important who Jesus is, and understanding that rightly 
is important for every one of us in this room. This is one reason why each week, you often notice, I repeat the gospel message a lot to you. You need to make sure that you understand that rightly. That's not a time to just tune out during the sermon. I heard this last week. I'm fine. No, that's a time where you, you listen carefully. You think about new aspects of it that maybe you hadn't reflected on before. You make sure that your right confession of Christ is true. It matters. What you believe and say about Jesus Christ matters. It matters so much that, that Jesus is going to build a church on those who get this right, this confession. Let's go back to the kingdom. So in this kingdom, the, the master of the house prepares to leave. He promises to build his church. This is interesting. So here, the authority of the king and the kingdom touches down into a concrete place on earth. What's happening on earth starts getting connected to that kingdom of heaven, what's happening in heaven. How does it work? Look at verse 19. Who does he give his authority to? Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Jesus first gives here Peter the ability to bind and loose. He gives him the keys, he says. Keys, now, in Scripture are a sign of authority, right? You all have keys right now in your pockets, almost every one of you. And you have some form of authority with those keys. You have the ability to let someone in or let someone out. We see this across Scripture. Revelation 9, we read of an angel that is given a key to the bottomless pit. Or we read of Jesus having the keys to death and Hades, controlling who goes in to death. Or we read in Luke eleven fifty two of the, the Jewish leaders who, Jesus says, they have the keys to knowledge, the authority to teach, but they themselves don't enter in. So this authority, Jesus says, Peter will have some spiritual authority. And it seems to come from his faithful confession. Do you see that? He has these keys that come from this faithful confession. Just like the confession is a bedrock that isn't limited just to Peter, I think that this authority isn't limited just to Peter either. Peter is first, chronologically, is like the first brick in the building of a building, but many other bricks are going to follow. Now, the reason I can say this is Jesus explains this to us further. Just two chapters later, if you just flip forward, chapter 18, Matthew 18, uh, the middle of the chapter there, we happen upon this teaching that Jesus is doing on, again, the local church and how they are to guard repentance in the church. And then we get to verse 18 of chapter 18. Look what we see when speaking about the church now. We read, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The exact same language. Again, the, the authority is being given of binding and loosing. Again, it's in the context of the local church. But this time, the you isn't singular. So back in 16, it was you, Peter. 
are going to have this authority. No, this time, Jesus says, whatever you all bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you all loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus is giving authority here. It's not just giving it to a pastor. It's giving it plurally to the church. The text is clear. He's talking to the church body in this issue of repentance. It's an authority first given to Peter and then to the whole church. It's an authority that reflects on earth what's happening in heaven. Okay, so now we're asking the last piece of the puzzle. What is this authority? What is the authority that, that Peter had as that first brick to bind and loose? That, that now churches have, all of us, in plural together. What are we as a church expected to do? Friends, the, the answer comes from the immediate context of both of these passages which are teaching on the local church. Matthew 16, Peter had identified a true confession of Jesus Christ. Matthew 18, the church is expected to identify a true repentance in the church from sin. Here's what's happening. The church is being given the keys to identify true confessions of Jesus Christ and true repentance. That's my assertion today. The church has the authority to affirm true confessions of faith and true repentance. And so when local churches like ours affirm church members, we say on earth what is true in heaven about someone. We bind and loose. We, we affirm credible faith and credible repentance. This is the job of the local church. And friends, this is exactly what we see happening across the New Testament. Uh, you don't have to turn there. 1 Corinthians 5, it's a great example of this. You can just go read it this afternoon. In that chapter, the church in Corinth had this case of, of shameful incest going on that needed to be dealt with. Paul is concerned with the reputation of Christ. And the person is living in open sin. They're, they're no longer showing credible faith and credible repentance. So in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul doesn't discipline the person. No. Instead, he says, when the church comes together... The assembly is to remove this person from membership. They are to say that that person is no longer a faithful representation of Christ. This is what church membership is. It's bearing the name of Christ publicly as a member of his body. As one person has said, it's like putting on Jesus' jersey. Christ's jersey, identifying with Jesus' people. This is the team I'm on. This is who I represent. It's saying, if, if you want to see the kingdom, if you want to hear credible faith, if you want to see credible repentance played out, well, look at us. We'll show you. We'll show you what that looks like. Our lives will reflect that to you. The church has the authority to affirm this. You know, uh, Dr. Jonathan Lehman has been tremendously helpful for me over the years in thinking about this. One is, uh, illustration which he uses, which is especially helpful, it's not mine. I'm going to steal it and adapt it here, here and give him credit. Uh, but it, what he says is that you could consider the example, well, consider the example of my family living in Egypt, right? So we lived for many years over in Egypt, 
uh, as citizens of America living there in a foreign land. And when one of our passports would expire, we would go down across the Nile to the neighborhood that had the U.S. Embassy. And there, the embassy would ratify a new passport. I, now, I could not do this on my own. I, I needed them. I needed the embassy to do this because the embassy speaks on behalf of the kingdom of America. Now, that passport, it didn't make me any more of a citizen. I was already born a citizen. But it did affirm to the world that this man is a citizen of America. He's a true member of that kingdom, of that nation. Well, it's similar ways true with the kingdom of heaven. Local churches are like embassies. They are outposts of the kingdom living in a foreign land. We're not in heaven. We're of the kingdom of heaven, yes. But we aren't there. We're here on earth. You can claim you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven on your own accord if you want, but it's God's design that the embassy affirms it, that others, the body, say, yes, that's true. You, you are showing true faith. You are showing true repentance in your life. The, the biblical place for this passport is in baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's where we say, where we, where we look up and we say, Yes, this person is showing credible faith and credible repentance. We affirm this as a church. Friends, if this is true, if what I'm saying is true today for churches like us, like First Boynton, that we are to affirm faith and repentance, true faith and true repentance, let me just give four brief reflections on this. Applications for you. Number one, you need to be a member at a local church. I expect there's no surprise to anyone listening. Whether here or at another church that preaches the gospel, you should desire the affirmation of a group of believers who look at your life and look at your words and say, yes, it's clear. They believe. Let's, let's baptize them. Let's guard them and keep them from sin. You need that. If you're a Lone Ranger Christian, unattached to Christ's body, well, then you are living a version of Christianity that just, honestly, the Bible has no place for. The Bible sees us as a corporate people being obtained by Christ, by his blood, and together covenanting together. Number two, you need to welcome other Christians in your church into your life. So when you become a member at a local church, you give up your right to be anonymous. You are inviting other people to walk beside you in love and to affirm your faith and repentance. You're inviting them in. You know, the, the Christian life is like a journey to heaven. It's like a trek that's more like a, like a team mountain climb or a hike together than it is like a solo free climb. I mean, you know, if you climb a mountain by yourself without ropes, when you slip, you die. But if you go on a climb of a mountain with a team that has your back, well, when, when you stumble, they're, they're there to catch you, to encourage you forward, to make sure you get to the end alive. 
I wonder, have you been living your spiritual life in hiding? Have you been trying to climb the mountain alone without letting others in to help make sure that you make it to heaven faithfully with true faith and true continual repentance? Thirdly, if church membership is this affirmation of true faith and repentance and you're a church member, then you should live to represent Christ faithfully. What I'm saying here is if, if you're putting on the, the jersey of King Jesus, you need to guard your words. You need to guard your life. You need to fight for holiness. You need to fight, put sin to death. You need to represent him to the world faithfully. Just like if you are an American living abroad, you need to represent America faithfully. Well, we're, it's the same for us. We are, we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You need to look like a citizen of kingdom, uh, the kingdom of heaven in your life. Is there any sin that you need to put to death? And the answer is surely yes. Repentance is continual. Turn from it today. And then lastly, number four, uh, you need to know your church. Uh, what I mean here is not only that you should welcome Christians into your life, but you should be just pursuing others in this body. You should be learning new members. You should be not just opening yourself up to being known, but you should be working to get to know others as well. Others need you to care for their spiritual growth and their maturity. That's the type of community we're trying to create here. Don't, don't leave it just to the job of the pastors to watch over other people's lives. You also pursue others. That's my application. Let me, let me move to my second and shorter question from this passage. We answered, what do we affirm? And that is evidence of credible faith and credible repentance. And now, look, think about with me about number two. What did Christ affirm? Friends, if our church is to be an embassy in a foreign land, then we should expect this to be difficult. We, we are not in our home country. We're, we haven't made it yet to heaven. And, and so what hope do we have for this group project that we're on together? Let's go back to Peter in Matthew 16. Uh, we saw that he gave this true confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. But notice again what Christ promises in verse 18. Did you see it? We read this. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, beloved, will you worship with me right now as you reflect on the glory of each word in that promise for us? Jesus said, I will build my church. Think about that word church. It's the church that Jesus has promised he will build. It's this assembly of believers. Now, many organizations will come and go. Many programs, even within a church, can come and go. Many nations will rise and fall. But the church of Jesus Christ, his assembly of worshipers that he is establishing, is the plan that he promises will succeed. It's, as some, some have said, it's, it's the plan A. And there's no plan B. He doesn't need one. He will build his church. 
Jesus said, I will build my church. Did you see that there? Think about this word, my. Friends, this body that Christ is forming, it's his body. This is not any one pastor's church. This is not the elder's church. This body belongs to Jesus. So even, just think about my ministry as a primary voice here regularly, week after week. I am just a blip on the timeline of eternity. I am merely an under-shepherd of the eternal shepherd of the sheep. To forget this would be like a, a babysitter who's forgotten that their delegated authority over some children is merely for one hour of that child's life. It's merely a moment entrusted to them by the parents. It's a real authority, but it's delegated and it is temporary. Friends, Jesus says, this is my church. This applies to you too. This should lead you as a church to be ever so careful with this church. You should want to not harm the unity of this church. It's his. You should want to guard this church. It's his. You should want to love this church as an extension of himself because it's his. It doesn't belong to us. If you're in his church, you too are his. You fall under that my. You are his bride. You are, as scripture says, his people for his own possession. Jesus says this is my church. He also says, I will build my church. This is, I will, I will construct my church. Oh, think of the patience that this metaphor immediately brings to mind. Now, building a structure, it will, can move quickly, but it does take time. I think Jesus is probably thinking here of how the expansion of this organization would be one that, that started sometime later in Pentecost, and then would just stretch out for hundreds and thousands of years as the church expands across peoples and tongues and lands and nations. Jesus is saying, I will build this. I will be constructing this. It's like what Jesus said in Mark 4. That short par parable, I wonder if you remember it. We read, the kingdom of God is as, as, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Do you know what he does? He would scatter the seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. It's this eventual process. The, the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain of the ear. When the grain is ripe, it, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Friends, we should not be discouraged when his work of building is a process which takes time and patience. Notice also Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus will do this. It is inevitable. His church will be established. We can look forward to the end of the age and rest assured that Christ will have a bride prepared for him for the marriage supper of the Lamb. He will not fail at this. He will have an inheritance of nations. It will happen. In fact, this is what I, I think he means in the 
second half of the verse. If you notice there, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Did you see that? Many times I think we, we hear this language and we just immediately think of the opposition that we face and the cultural challenges to, to living in this world. But friends, that's, that's not the picture. It's not that, that we as a church are being attacked and we're on the defensive in the midst of this world. No. The picture is that Christ is building his church as the church advances. It, the gates of hell can't hold the church back. It's, it's not as if hell is attacking us. I mean, gates aren't offensive weapons. You don't take a gate off its hinges and, and attack someone. No, they are the last means of defense. The church is on the offense, and the very, the very gates of hell itself can't stand our offense. Jesus says, that he will build his church. This is why in a moment we're going to sing, O Church Arise. We're going to sing our call to war to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. When faced with trials on every side, we know the outcome is secure, and Christ will have the prize for which he died, an inheritance of nations. Friends, Christ will build his church. Lastly, reflect on this. Christ said, I will build my church. We, we may strive and toil, as well we should, but our confidence is not in our contribution. Our confidence is that Christ said, he will do this. It's not fundamentally up to us. The power to see his church grow, this final assembly that he is preparing, and our local church grow, that power is not in what we do. It's in the fact that Jesus has promised he will construct something. So let me conclude. And let me conclude by connecting these two points that I've made. So I've, I've argued that the church has these keys to the kingdom. We are to affirm credible faith and credible repentance. And then I just reflected with you over the fact that Christ has promised he will build his church. Friends, it should not seem strange to us that affirming true faith and repentance is so closely tied to the advance of the church. Uh, we want to see this, this covenanted community that, that builds a compelling community to the world around us. As we are more and more faithfully confessing Christ and more and more faithfully repenting from our sin, our, our regenerate church membership will be one of the testimonies to the watching world of a people that are just radically different. A people that, that are living like they're citizens of some foreign land that are all tied together by their common nationality as we welcome others to join us in this nationality. Oh, beloved, let's affirm and become that kind of church here at Christmas. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we 
thank you for the promises of your word. And we exalt in and we place our confidence in this promise of Christ when he said that he will build his church. Father, we pray for confidence to believe this. We pray for confidence to live as if this is true. Not that it's us who can concoct the, the things needed ourselves to see growth happen, but that we are looking to Christ, to our head. Father, I pray that we would take seriously the authority that Scripture gives to the body to affirm true faith and true repentance. We pray that we ourselves would, would reflect true faith in our lives and true repentance in our lives. We pray that we would guard this in our church and that in doing this, you would grow us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.